That's right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Principles of Fitness podcast. My name is Cameron Harn, and I've been on a little bit of a hiatus since the beginning of the year, but I'm back and ready to bring you some of the best in the fitness industry and maybe some other content along the way. On today's episode, we have a good buddy of mine. His name is Patrick Spring, and he is the owner and founder of a company called IRT, Intrinsic Resistance Training, located in Woodland Hills, California. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about IRT. We're going to talk about a book that he has coming out soon. We're also going to discuss how he became one of the top personal trainers at Equinox and the principles that he abides by that bring his clients so much success in their training regimen and also his view on fitness. It's an incredible conversation. I'm so happy to bring it to you. So please welcome Patrick Spring. Well, we're here with Patrick Spring the owner founder of IRT, Intrinsic Resistance Training. So where did your journey in the fitness industry begin? Um, you know, I actually started way back when I was in high school. I used to work, I started working out when I was like nine years old with my dad. We used to jog, I used to do push-ups. My dad used to work out, my mom used to work out, and so it was kind of part of my upbringing. It was, thankfully, I had a lot of energy. It got channeled into things like fitness instead of just mischief, and um I really started getting to the point where once I, I came about high school football, I wanted to be really good. I'd never lifted before. And I went into my freshman season and I was in amazing shape and I got injured in, oh, no. early on. And, and it was because I was kind of maybe operating above my means and I was playing at like probably 135 pounds with 185 and 200 pounders as a 14 year old playing with 18 year olds. <laughs> so I could learn very quickly. It all of a sudden became like, well, I got to put on some weight and I got to do it fast. So I started looking at everything from Olympic lifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding. I didn't care what it was. I was, I was all game for it. So by, I started at about 14 and a half, just coming out of the, the broken leg. And by 16, I was lifting weights to the point where we had the, the blue club, the white club, and the, and the Viking club. I know the Viking club was the top. I don't know the order. But I remember my goal was I want to squat um, uh, you know, 450. I want to deadlift 400. Whoa. And I want to bench press 350. And the bench press. At 16? Press, at 16, yeah. yeah. And that was I was going for that. I was going to be the first and youngest person. And it kind of like I had this, this weightlifting started to become bigger than the sport itself. And I... I remember that I was almost to the point where I was like, wow, I, I know I'm working out and I'm getting stronger in the gym. I didn't have great technique, but I remember that that's when some injuries started to happen. Okay. Maybe early on, probably after about 16, after I actually finally got into that big day of the Viking club. When I look back on it, probably that's where like injuries started to come and go. And yeah, there were some hard hits and things like that could, that could explain it and maybe the broken leg in the first place. But there was also some things that I was doing to myself retrospectively. I look back and I'm like, oh, that's what I was doing wrong. And mm -hmm. I wish I kind of had someone to lay out some basics for me and give me a, a, a bigger picture of what's going on. I also got caught up in the, you know, I want to lift more weight or I want to do more reps and it started to overshadow instead of it just being, being a means to the end of being a better athlete, mm -hmm. it became like an end in and of itself. And I'm like, I just want to lift more weight. And it became like about the contest and the competition, which we know a lot about yeah, nowadays in, in, in fitness. So definitely. 
So then where does that take you from there? You, you traveled for a while, came back to the States. How did your career as a personal trainer get started? Yeah, you know what? It, it, was, it was like I said, I did it earlier. And then when I came back into the States, I didn't, I didn't train. I kind of, I got back in, in about, around about 26. I mm-hmm. started to have an upper back problem that I had an injury when I was around 22. And it just started becoming the case that every um, six to eight weeks I was working out, every six to eight weeks I would injure myself and I, and I was being told, you know, you got to go to a chiropractor, I go to a chiropractor, you got to get an x-ray, you got to get an MRI, um, you got to go to the doctor, you got to, and then it's like, take this pain medication or that pain medication. And I got it up to um, 50 pounds over what kind of my, my baseline healthy weight was. And I remember um, I was... Uh, 50 pounds over like, oh, just, you gained fat, like, uh, you gain 50 w- pounds over and be jacked. In my own mind, I was jacked, but in everyone else's <laughs> mind, I was, I was not jacked. And okay. people started, in fact, I, I, I talk about sometimes, it's kind of like my aha moment or my uh, reality check moment where I was uh, eating my reunion cheat meal up on the island, you know, and, and the thing was, I was like working my butt off with the weights early on. In, in high school, we used to always go out for the cheat meals, you know, the carb loading, with pizza, pasta, garlic bread. So I remember going out for those and then about 10 years later coming back to the island to do my reunion cheat meal. Of course, at this time I was injured, so my reunion, my, my workouts had stopped, but the reunion cheat meals, uh, the cheat meal was on, on full, full blast. Full force. You know, yeah, like, full force. It's that was not like, it was, yeah, it wasn't just a meal, it was like a day, a, a week, whatever. But I remember sitting there and um, talking to the guys and kind of joking around and I remember feeling kind of insecure because I was, you know, grabbing all the food. And I was no longer <laughs> as lean, at least as, as it was. And I remember j- grabbing for the food and kind of joking around like, oh yeah, you know, it's uh, got to get those lightning quick reflexes, you know, for all the new muscle mass. And they were like, oh yeah, you're, you're feeding something all right. And I was like, <laughs> and you know, having that moment of like, wait, you know, I, cause I was kind of being apolo- you know, apologetic for grabbing all the food, but also just feeling like just out of sorts and not feeling good anymore. And, and kind of just joking around with guys. I remember taking the the comments a little more to heart and actually mm-hmm. going down. I, I no longer owned a scale, but I went home. I was staying on the island with my parents. I went home, weighed myself on the scale, and I was like, whoa, okay, I'm up 50 pounds from what, like I said, even my, my high school and even my adult weight, probably 60 pounds from my adult weight and 50 pounds from the kind of football weight where I was a little heavier and more yeah. jacked. Do you remember so, what that number was? Yeah, it was about 223. Okay. So about five, five, nine, five, ten on a good day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you, I felt the difference and I had my cholesterol test had been high. And like I said, just the injury every, every six to eight weeks, that was what was really getting to me. But the other thing was, is everyone was saying, well, you need to go do something about this. You need to go to a doctor. But because it was coming and going, I was like, it can't be the structure is that compromised. If, it can, if I can feel perfect for six to eight weeks and have no injuries, and then all of a sudden I get injured, it must be something more. So I got back into training just for myself. I'm like, I need to go get a certification. I kept walking, watching people. Fitness had seemed to have evolved in my time since I'd trained. So I went back and I, I got a certification with National Academy of Sports Medicine, literally within about a month of getting that certification and just kind of looking at fitness with a little bit bigger perspective, more broad perspective. Um, I started going, wow, I can see some things really obvious right out, right out front that I'm doing wrong, made some adjustments. And the injury started to go away and I got another uh, biomechanics of resistance training right in, out, off the start from the Cooper Institute. Really interesting certification, really helped 
basic and showed some of the genesis of where things were coming from because at that time NSM was a very progressive certification and mm -hmm. it was a lot of times if you didn't understand where some of the thought processes were coming from, you could think that one thing was good in doing it faster or with more weight or on a balance piece of equipment was even better. And that is definitely not all the Functional. Case. Functional, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of times um, I felt like I had to be really careful of the science and the application mm -hmm. of it because of my injuries. And it became a, a really good asset as a trainer because I was looking after myself and dealing with these injuries that would have usually been brought on with age or severe imbalances like I had. And it helped for me clarify and ask a lot of questions to people who knew a lot more than me at the time and ask questions as to, okay, where do I apply this knowledge and, and then do it myself, feel it for myself. From the start, I was always doing similar workouts to my clients. It wasn't like I was doing a bodybuilder routine for my, for my clients and then, oh, NASM says do this and Cooper Institute says this. I was trying to find something that would work for me and also something that would work in general. Because again, that's what I lacked way back then in high school. Yeah, yeah that, that to me has been what I've tried to do and what I've seen is there's some basic things that probably 85% of people and 85% of the workout is doing. And these, you know, the basic principles that people are doing in their big major movement patterns is what are getting them results. And then there's about 10 or 15% of stuff, minutia that we disagree on. And there's validity within that 10 to 15% of corrective exercises or, you know, of developmental work or whatever you want to talk about with regard to trying to fix someone or, or reduce the chance of injuries. But my thing is like, if I get a client and they're healthy, I don't want to bring them in and, you know, mess them up because I'm having them do such a crazy workout or I'm not adhering to some sound principles of how we can get someone to when they're doing well or if they're coming out of an injury from say they've been in physical therapy that we make the most of it or say they go to a chiropractor or a massage therapist or an mat therapist let's take what they've brought to us these this window of opportunity to make them better and make sure we make them better and not instead send them back to the same place whatever their rehab is in the same exact condition so in that in that space what i've found works in what IRT is based off of is just basic principles that should be intrinsic, natural to working out, but are not when someone's already injured or when someone's been doing it for a long time and just gotten careless and is in deep form, like the path of least resistance. So, so I want to talk about IRT in a minute, but I want to backpedal a little bit. Do you remember the year that you got certified in NASM? Yeah, it was 2003. Okay, 2003. Yeah. Only ask that because I've got a couple people on here who kind of like they were involved in kind of the uh, the new transition of NESM. Early 90s were it kind of they had a, a big shift. Yes. And a lot of new things came on. I mean, you've had like Gary Gray on board and then a few other like big names that kind of turned it over to what it is today. So 2003 was when I got the okay. next. Yeah. Gotcha. So then. Did you just have a curiosity need to continue your education? How did the knowledge develop into what IRT is today? So I think the knowledge was having so much practice and seeing things that were wrong and really searching for the answers and searching out people who, like I said, knew more than me, but not just getting the information on a piece of paper or reading it in a book, but going to people and asking them to clarify the information 
from what be it NASM or be it going to idea and listening to someone like uh, Greg Roscoff speak, uh, the founder of M uh, MAT, Muscle Activation Therapy, or um, listening to Dr. Evan Osar speak, who's the author of a couple really, really good books, and just having perspective about where they're coming from, or listening to Tom Purvis speak, or Gary Gray, a lot of these guys, in, in the midst of them giving them presentation, their presentation, but ask them, like, hey, what's the context of this, and how do you apply this? And uh, seeing that Yes, a lot of people are disagreeing over the minutia of fitness, but in its broader application, when you're working out, what are we doing? Are we performing major movements like squat, pull, push, or are we taking some of those corrective exercises or, development or ex developmental exercises, and are we adding weight to them? And when you talk to most of those guys, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but you find that a lot of the things that they do on the mat, on the table, the very specific things they do, that they are not doing those with weight and that they'll say that, yes, if you're the more specific you get, the more you better know exactly what's going on with the body and the better you better be at, at applying your skill set. So sometimes in applying bigger movements like squat, pull, push, it's a more forgiving way to work the body. And it's obviously a, a better way to get more muscles involved. So like one of the a, a general principle would be like, yeah, do squatting, pulling and pushing movements um, to work the most amount of muscle groups at the, at the same time, get your heart rate up, a lot of things you're doing there. Maintaining your posture. There's a big debate as to whether or not we can improve posture, if we're even trying to improve posture. But most people would say, if you work out with terrible posture, you're going to make things worse. Yeah. So you work out with the best pos possible posture that your structure can sustain. And most people are not going to disagree on that. Or breathing, right? There's going to be a discussions about how how to breathe whether you're valsalve maneuver or whether you're breathing in through the nose out through purse lips you know drawing in all these different things but when you talk about repetitious movements like circuit training you're not going to be able to do the valsalve maneuver for like a minute and a half when you do three sets of 15 or, or when you do a set of 15 repetitions you are going to have to have some sort of coherent breathing strategy so having a coherent breathing strategy maintaining posture doing squat pull push movements these are all things that most people would agree upon working in some sort of circuit. Yes, you're not going to optimize your strength training or be the strongest you can be if you work in a circuit, yeah. but also is out and out being this, being able to squat the most like what I did in high school. Is that going to make you necessarily, is that going to improve all the rest of everything else you want to improve? Yeah, I would say yes. Being stronger is going to do a lot of different things, but you just have to make sure that you're stronger in the right areas and you're balanced in the process, that you're not like lifting 350 pounds and jamming your joint in, in the process. So. Yeah, because there's a trade-off with that. Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be, I mean, I guess, more holistic yes. in the approach. You know, you want to make sure that the body is trained that up the way it's supposed to move and not be dogmatic to one approach. Right, right. You're trying to basically find what works best in all of the approaches. It's like if, you, if there's a new modality or a new piece of fitness equipment, I'd say, okay, what is that? How does, can I best work the body with that fitness equipment? I'm not mm -hmm. going to say, well, how can I structure my whole workout yeah. around a piece of fitness equipment, which is usually the trend. Oh, I got this new fitness modality, fill in the blank, and oh, I'm going to do the whole workout with that. And it, and it doesn't make any sense to someone who's been you know, working as a trainer for a long time. I think the interesting thing about yourself when you when in even in doing these podcasts 
I find that you'd like to see how things fit together and also how people are saying the same things. Absolutely. You, you know, and that's what we're trying to do. And as a trainer, you're constantly trying to remind your client as to how they should come in, work hard, channel it into something that is um, you know, logical, but not necessarily fall for all the latest get fit quick schemes. Because that's it's a, it's a big challenge. A lot of times people come in, they've seen something on TV, they've seen something online, they're maybe bored yeah. <laughs> with, with their life. It might not be the workout. Or like you said mm -hmm. earlier, like you might have a client who said, well, my friend said that they do Pilates or yoga or uh, CrossFit, for example. And it's like, okay, well. What's their current status? Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm always like, what's, what, how are they, are they currently doing it right now? Y yes or no. What's, are they in shape? You know, sometimes I, I was sharing with you earlier, I had a client who, She's made great progress and, um, in about three months. And in the middle of all of her progress, she started uh, questioning, just saying, oh, you know, I just want a little more entertainment. I just want to be a little, a little more, um, I'll mix it up a little bit. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's fair enough. But I'm like, are you doing your exercise routine to mix it up and be entertained? Because I would say there are a lot of more interesting and entertaining things in life besides working out. And so some of the things that people are looking <laughs> yeah, for. That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, why don't you get the workout here, get your result, find out why you're not getting your result, and then if you need to do something entertaining or spiritual or to get friends or have a community, maybe don't just base that off of when you're doing your, where you're doing your fitness. It might be a nice byproduct. It might be work sometimes, but it doesn't always necessarily have to be the case because it can be a double-edged sword. What if you don't find spirituality and fitness? What if you don't find a community that you can work with or, you know, the personalities change or whatever? It's like, it'd be really, it's really nice to be able just to come in and work out and base it off of your individual needs for that day and then yeah. get out and explore some of those other things. By all means, IRT, I always talk about intrinsic resistance training. It's like doing what's efficient and effective so you can get out and actually live your life and enjoy life and stop trying to make fitness about more than what it is because trust me as trainers yes we're coaches we have some knowledge and some life experience but there are far better people to help you with other aspects of your life than trainers are right mm -hmm. i mean we're not therapists we're not spiritual gurus we're not we're, we're just trying to be good at what we do and i found in my life the more clear i get on that and the more i deal with just the physical and work out people the better results they get here and then they go out and they look in other places for the things that maybe they were looking for or were tricked into doing fitness for so that's that's what i've what i've uh, talked about it's like uh i always say to clients like you know you're coming in you're asking me about something new if you walked into your accountant every year and you were like hey let's mix this up and you know <laughs> can we just try something different i heard about this uh ski, you know money and your client your accountant would probably be like, oh, let's not try that let's stick to the yeah. basics and and a lot of times as trainers you think you have to give a different response but a lot of times giving the response and reminding them bringing them back and helping them get centered focusing on the physical helps them with every, everything else and what i found is they're more thankful long term you know it may not be the huge ups and downs of i love you today but it's also not the i hate you the next week you know it's more of like oh hey, great thanks okay good i'm working on myself i'm working on my fitness and and just seeing that it's the long-term things that you do that that are going to get you to your goal mm -hmm. so. so how do you go about those conversations with your clients on getting them to kind of shift that mindset over to 
enjoy your workout, but go out and enjoy life a little bit better. How does that conversation get yeah. brought up? This is, this, this is, and I remember friends of mine asking me because in the past I've worked for big companies and there's very much the temptation to market heavy and, and answer everyone's like if, if it's, if a style of fitness is very successful right now, most companies will take that style fitness and take their brand and put their, their name on it and go, Oh, well, we're going to do this to combat this today. Or, and, and what I would just say is, you know, if someone walked in and they're like, Oh, I want to do this new, new form of fitness. And I'd be like, well, why, why do you want to do it? Oh, it's sexy. It just looks good. And I'm like, okay, well, I'd rather have you do this so you can get outside and have your sexy or look good outside and just giving them something that basic usually just resonates for them. And they're like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, do you, would you rather, do you want to do a sexy workout here and then walk around injured? Cause that's not very sexy. No. So just breaking it down and it's not being patronizing or anything. It's really just talking to someone and, and re just reminding them what we're here, what we're here to do. And like I said, long-term, they usually respect that more because you're being honest with them. It's the truth. And you tell them stories, you know, if I, I, I can always relate back to my own experience and I'm, and I, and I say, yeah, it's in the short term, it's easy to kind of give in to the latest fad, the latest trend, but in the long term, it's not going to be rewarding for you. It's not going to be rewarding for your client. Sticking to the basics is, is what works best. And that's what, if you look at any fitness routine that comes out, again, 85% of it is probably, if it's based on science, it's usually pretty similar. And then there'll be some, you know, hook, or it, it might be something that literally distinguishes it in some way from something else. But the broad, the application of that might be in only 10 or 15% of the workout, mm -hmm. right? So instead of getting too specific about that 10 or 15%, unless you really need it, you're injured, you have some sort of imbalances that life has brought about, get the 85% on board. Make sure you're not, like I said, going off and doing some awesome form of, of, of uh, corrective or some sort of alignment and then coming back and, and screwing it all up. So I guess I want to know a little bit more. Do you have... Do you give them suggestions on, you know, do we need to look at your, like, let's say uh, different buckets, right? Do we need to look at, I had a guest who actually said, you know, he looks at clients and he goes, are all your buckets full? Like spirituality bucket, do you have this? Do you have resources that you refer them out to to help them figure out, okay, maybe you need to go enjoy community more? You know, that's, that's, uh, that's a good way of putting it. You know, I certainly, if clients come in and they're like, say, hey, I'm, I'm going to this person and I really en enjoy this and I'm working with it, it's like mental note. If I can talk to the person, great. But usually what I like to do is just, I think at one point when you're, when you first come into training, you think that you want to be all things to all people and you think there's like this scarcity of, oh my gosh, my client has some sort of ache and pain instead of sending them out to a massage therapist or a chiropractor or an MAT therapist, you're thinking, oh my God, I have to be everything to them or mm -hmm. instead just be like, yeah, you know, like, have you considered doing this? Or if they come to you, a lot of times clients come to you, what do you think about acupuncture? I'm like, I think it's great. If you have a great practitioner, I think you should go and give it a shot. Usually they've heard something from someone. I'm like, give it a shot. And if it's working for you, listen to your body. Go in there. See if it's helping make you better. And and not being so like that. Or you, one person comes to you, I feel like things happen for a reason. So one person's had great, um, a great experience with a, a neuronutritionist or like a, a chiropractor. And they're telling you about it. And then someone else is coming in and asking you about it. You, you being the person who goes, hey, I don't have any personal experience with this, but I have a client. If you'd like to talk to them about this, 
feel free. And then they go in, they check it out. Then their association with that is all with you. And they know you're doing your best job to, you know, push, help them, you know, with everything in life. And it's not just about you as a trainer making more money. It's really you doing the best thing that you can for your client. And uh, I think clients always appreciate that. So yeah, and, and like you said, the, the buckets, again, I just try to make sure that the bucket we're working on is the physical and all the other buckets, they can fill in some, they can fill in, in in areas where people in the in the community, I think when you work in a community, you start to become a part of that and you yeah. do start to find people who are good at taking care of, of, all, of all those aspects. Uh, so I want to kind of transition into your book and your facility, IRT, Intrinsic Resistance Training. How did you come about this? How did uh, Let's talk about IRT first and we'll head over towards the book. So I, I love where, it. Where did you uh, come up with the, the concept of the gym, the principles behind it and such? Yeah, um, the, the gym is basically, it's just one-on-one -on -one for the most part. There are a couple couples who will train together, but mostly it's one-on-one. -on -one. So it's just about the workout. That's what I've found with anyone who trains here. It quickly becomes just about them and whether or not they want to train that day or not. There's nothing to redirect it on. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no one else here. So it's like, it just becomes quick about what they need for that day. And we get into it. One of the things I call, the reason I call it intrinsic resistance training was obviously resistance training is a term that encompasses also body weight as opposed to it just being strength training, which yeah. could also encompass that, or just weightlifting. A lot of times people refer to just weightlifting. But the reason resistance training is because I think it's a, a term that uh, very explains and includes a lot of things. But the intrinsic part of it is, you know, when you go and lift something one time, you might go out and you'll have respect for the fact that you're lifting something heavy and you might breathe properly. You might even have some good posture. But when you get, you go over and over and you start doing it, you know, hundreds and thousands of time, you might select the more efficient, but not necessarily the healthier way of lifting it. And that path of least resistance can lead to a lot of problems. And, you know, you're sitting there talking to your, your workout buddy or someone in the gym and you're not paying attention. Your posture's all over the place. You're not breathing properly. Sooner or later, that's going to result in either like a chronic or an acute injury. So the intrinsic part of it is trying to reinstill that what should come natural when you go, that respect, that consciousness of when you walk to go lift something heavy. It's trying to reinstill that into every movement you do. Breathing properly, having the correct posture. How are you going to get this? Are you going to pull it? Are you going to push it? Are you going to squat it? That's what this is, is really about. And that's what all the equipment here that I have here is designed to do. Some of it you can replicate at home, but finding like the best ways of replicating at home. What are you gonna give you the most return for your investment of time? And that's what this has really become. Uh, and that's why I, I always say like, don't look at them just as individual exercises. It becomes overwhelming, you know, should I do that exercise? Should I do this exercise? But start looking at everything of, wait, you, you see a new routine. What in this routine makes sense? How does it fall into this? Yeah, that, you'll know for yourself. You start to become and have a broader perspective of, is that a good thing for me to do? Does that make sense based off the, these principles I know? And then here I explain it in the facility. I explain it to people over and over again, <laughs> whether they want to hear it or not. Usually they want to hear it. And eventually it sinks in. And sometimes it sinks in right away for people. But a lot of times people need to hear it over and over again, just like in my own experience, I needed to hear things over and over again. And in the book, I, I lay it out in seven principles of how you can apply in, in a written form and you know some visuals, pictures, um, 
lay it out in that form for someone who maybe can't come in or maybe can't come in as often. Can you take us through these seven principles? Absolutely. The first one, as I talked to you earlier about it, was no surprise, listen to your body. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way. And that would just be, if you're in pain, stop, don't do it, don't work through pain. But I'll take it a step further and say, know what you're trying to work out. And if you're not, work, if you're not feeling in those right areas, before you feel pain, just stop. Like if you're doing something, two legs, and all of a sudden you feel it only in one leg or in your lower back, your neck, just stop. Something's wrong. Give yourself a chance to reset. Maybe you can come back to it within that same workout or a circuit later, or maybe you need the day off from that exercise, and you come back to it the next time. I've, I've, it, my own personal experience has had, I've had times where, you know, oh, it just doesn't feel right to do a push-up, and I, and I just don't, I stop for the day, and I come back the next time I'm able to do it. Or I've had times where it doesn't feel good to do this movement. I hold off for six months, I come back to it, and I'm able to do it. So I always say like to clients, you know, I don't want to be the, the, I don't want you to be in here jumping over a fence as your workout and having you trip in here. I'd rather have you work out and do sound safe things. And then if you're outside in life and you have to jump over a fence, you're in solid condition where you can actually do it when you need to yeah. <laughs> and not because you made some dangerous high risk exercise, your, your baseline. I've had uh, experiences myself where in a recent one, instead of listening to my body, I was just like, oh, no, I, I got this. I can, I can handle it. And I was just being, I was being kind of a dumbass. I was doing a, a bent press, right? So, you know, with the kettlebell, loading it kind of on the hip, bending down, pressing up. And I had done it the day before. I did it with uh, 40 kilograms, so 90 pounds, right? And I did it for like four reps. I'm like, oh, I'm strong. Next day I come in and I'm like working with a client. And I'm like, oh, check this out. Stone cold, no warm up or anything. Pick it up, go do it the right side. I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel normal. I'm like, oh, maybe I should try it again. I do it a second time. Instead of listening, I did it and it was agonizing. I, I, but I finished the rep. But I finished the rep. <laughs> That's Set the it, most important thing. <laughs> I know. I sit it down and I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel good. Boom. From that moment on, I'm still trying to recover from that injury. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've got uh, a torn, partially torn trap and it's just taken forever to recover from. Yeah, well, and that, it's interesting because that was the thing I was saying earlier when I was joking about, well, I repeat things to clients, whether they... I, I, I am going through this constant reassessment and listening to my body for myself too. Maybe it's at a, at, a, at a higher level because I've been doing it for so long and you've been doing it for so long, but we still struggle with that. Uh, listen to your body, you know? Yeah. I, 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 had, I got married here lately in, in, uh, in last May and before I left, I was doing crazy heavier weight than I usually do. Just It was just a byproduct that was happening. I felt great. Went on honeymoon, took like almost two weeks off. I came back. I was like, why would I not load myself up with that same heavy weight? It felt great. Yeah. Went on there, started working. Felt terrible. <laughs> Kept kind of pushing through. About two weeks into it, my wife's watching me work out. She's like, you're wincing every time you're doing that, that press. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, what would you say to your client if, you, if your client was doing that? I'm like, Ugh. so I just stopped. Immediately, within a week, I'm feeling better. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, it, we, we constantly have to remind ourselves of the same things we're, we're trying to teach other people. And, Absolutely. And, and that's the whole basis of, of the book, in fact, of going through my own kind of trial and errors first and then, you know, trying to get the basics down. But then you're, all, you're constantly, it's never going to go away. It's just never like, you're, you're never going to have worked out so much and ate so well that you can just afford to stop you know, working out and stop eating well, 
right? Yeah. And some people are like, oh, I don't want to work out because I don't want to, you know, then I'll have to do that for the rest of my life. And I'm like, well, that's the beauty of it. Like, I, that would be people like People say that? People say that, yeah, I don't want to do that because then I'm going to have to do that the rest of my life. I don't want to start working out because then I'm going to have to, you know, maintain <laughs> that. I'm like, that'd be like saying, I don't want to go into business and be successful because then I'm going to have to be successful and I'm going to have to do those things that make me successful for the rest of my life. And I'm going, well, that's kind of the point. That's oh, living. so well put. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So, but the second one and speaking of it is the second principle is breathing, right? And the breathing acts as your inner core support. Not only does it get you down into the right mindset and out of that chronic fight or flight state, but it gets you that inner support. And oftentimes we didn't, we just look at it as, Oh, I'm, I'm staying, I'm staying alive here by breathing. But in reality, those inner muscles, that inner support is what supports you from within and the spine from within. And so just being aware of how you're breathing. And if you're doing a circuit, obviously it's going to be different than if you're lifting one rep max, you're going to have to have a different breathing strategy. You have to choose one. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to do the Valsalve maneuver and hold my breath to stabilize. Maybe if you're doing one really heavy rep, that makes sense. But yeah. if you're doing it over and over repetitiously, just laying out that way of breathing that's optimal for that. And that's, you know, breathing in as the targeted muscle group elongates and breathing out as you exhale and the muscle shortens and the concentric contraction. That's just the short explanation. But that seems to work best for uh, circuit training and r training where you're doing reps of over like five. How do you overcome people's mindset or confusion when they're trying to breathe properly through an exercise because sometimes you could take somebody through you know an exercise and go okay we're going to focus on your breath right now and then they're like wait where where, where do I breathe what, what part here and then they get super confused how do you coach them to effectively to breathe effectively and you know that's a great question and sometimes when it becomes the breathing becomes almost overtakes it I'll first of all make sure that the weight's probably almost nothing or it's body weight and just try to get them relaxed and say, hey, most importantly is that you just breathe. But a lot of times just taking it back, lowering the weight, taking it back to a more basic exercise that they might recognize, like say a, a squat or a step up. If they're doing something like a side lunge and they're losing it, they, whoa, whoa, let's just take the complexity of the exercise back to its basic form, which is more of a squat. Let's just have you walk over here and sit down. As you sit down, breathe in. All right, now stand up and I just want you to breathe out. And usually that'll get people reset for their squatting motion. Okay. Um, that's that's how I would do it. Because if they're if they're getting if they're feeling awkward, you know, they talk a lot about that. If someone's feeling awkward or confused or threatened, that's not gonna be a good thing for their breathing, as we know. Yeah, perfect. So take the threat away and then go into the breathing let's say exercise, just kind of practicing and then go into your yeah. actual exercise. Yeah, and something that they recognize. Yeah, Perfect. something the most basic form. And you know, it's funny, the third principle is posture, right? Okay. And that's so important. It goes hands in hand with the breathing. And that's, we talk about core a lot of times in the industry. It's such a vague, overutilized term. And you know, core and then functional training. It, it, core and functional training, right? It's standing That's on the ball. That's all we're doing today. Yeah, yeah. Hold, closing your eyes, tilting your head, holding one. There's so many different things. Where's it's got the most bad name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's the most? <laughs> Where's the unstable surface? I want a lot of threat here. But really, core in 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 the sense of a practical sense is more of you want it working in the right time, in the right capacity, and you want it working the right amount. You don't need like four thousand percent core contraction for it to be effective workout. That might actually cause way more problems than it would solve. So I hear that all the time. And even in my clients, sometimes they'll be like, Yo, 
oh yeah, it's really all about the core. And I'm like, yeah, core posture, right? It's all about your center and being aligned because if something's out of alignment, it doesn't matter how strong it is. If it's compromised, it's, it's, there's gonna be an injury, either a chronic or acute injury. So the alignment, the posture is just important as the core work and really stopping yourself from being pulled out of optimal posture, out of that long spine position is what is really core work, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll put that in a more positive sense maintaining that long spine position through all those different challenges, being pulled sideways into rotation, being pulled into, you know, hunchback or being pulled into arch, just maintaining neutral. That's really what you want to focus on the whole time. And like I said, that's the term I'll just refer to it half the time as core posture. Yes, your core posture is at the center of everything. And then as you go from there into principle four is what's, what is the all, if your foot position's all over the place, that's going to affect your uh, you know, pelvic position, it's going to affect your upper body, your spinal position, everything. So if you're not in a, in a, if you don't have like three solid or stable points of contact on the floor, that's going to be crucial. Even when you're, you're sitting down, your, your foot position is important. So in a lot of times we got really big on foot position when people were wearing minimalist shoes, but then they get in their sneakers and everyone checks out and thinks their foot's just taken care of but still be conscious of what's the connection. And when someone really hasn't worked out or, or has got a lot of issues going on with their body, you look and their feet are just all over the place. Mm -hmm. So just getting them to be more conscious of that. And if it requires something more than being conscious of it, and oftentimes it does, you can go outside of that and do that, those specific things. But basically you can also just get someone who may, they just may, may have no idea that they have to stop their feet from diving in or bringing their toes up or popping their heels up and just giving them those cues and, and, and helping them just be more aware of that. And then the next thing is um, <coughs> principle is perform the big movements, the squat, pull, push. As I talked about, the big movements that get you a lot of return for your investment. So um, why is it squat, pull, push though? Oh, you, you know, we, yeah, <coughs> it's, a, it's a great question. And the squatting based off of that, the feet, right? That's your connection and the legs are your connection to the ground. So just major muscle group going in there and, Getting your, making sure you have a good connection to the ground with your legs before you load the upper body. Um, uh, when you go into pulls, say even if you're doing something heavy, right? If you go in and you've just done a ton of weight with your, with your pulls or with your, with your squats, I'd rather have your squats before your pull, right? If you do squat, push, pull, and you end with a pull or in a circuit, now all of a sudden you're going to come back into your squat and your upper body pulling muscles are going to be completely fatigued. I don't know if you've ever done okay, yeah. a ton of chin-ups and then you go back into your squatting motion and you're already tired and like you end up tweaking your back because you're just trying to hold on to the weight. Everything or your starts protracting and yeah, you're just yeah. like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Your grip's <clears throat> going. You're like, can barely hold on to the bar. So generally that's just a good rule. Squat first, then it comes pull. Just kind of opening things up. A lot of people are hunched over. There's many reasons why they're hunched over. But in general, just doing a, a pull before a push gives them a, a chance to get the shoulders warmed up and just get conscious of being a lot of times you're pulled into one position and then just overcompensating for that. And in an ideal world, just going to neutral is a good way to get the person not to hunch, right? They get pulled into a, a position and they actually go against it kind of naturally. Okay. So, Excellent. Yeah. And then the next thing is uh, just keep things moving in the circuit. Take advantage of doing those exercises back to back. Now, that's not going to give you, say, the aerobic challenge of running a marathon, but you may not need that challenge. So really just 
going squat, pull, push, your heart's a pump, pumping the blood from your legs to your back, to your chest. It's enough aerobic and anaerobic um, challenge that can really improve your anaerobic and your aerobic threshold and carry over into things like hiking, even jogging. You know, I've had people who are avid joggers and sometimes just cutting their miles outside and doing a little more in the gym takes away from some of the chronic pain, getting them stable in the pl places where they need to be stable. Now, again, I'm not advocating if you're trying to run a marathon and win a marathon, I'm not telling you you should just circuit train. I'm saying you're still going to have to get good at your skill set. And in those cases, you may want to do more to win the competition than is good for your body. But that's why I constantly talk about, like, don't make your workout a competition because that's then winning becomes more important than your health and fitness. So that's why we stick within the, the parameters of what's going to improve that overall. And then the last thing is just nutrition, just, just eating in a sound manner of following some basic principles, creating a caloric deficit, doing the things that are going to get you healthier and support the physical part of it and not just constantly contradicting it. And within the, the keep it moving with cardio, I also talk about recovery, which you've <laughs> alluded to. That's very important too. A lot of times people mm -hmm. just look at, oh, I got to be doing something every day, like you said, but the recovery is part of that's when you're getting the results. That's when your body's adapting and changing to this demand, which is the workout. That's when you're getting better. So don't just think that you always have to do something. Sometimes it is right to take the day off. It doesn't mean you have to be a couch potato, but maybe it's going for a light walk or going to the mall and shopping. I don't know. Do the shopping for the week. Yeah. I mean, you can't be in a constant state of breakdown because you've got to give your nervous system a chance to recover from the stress that you placed on it. Exactly. And I think that's something that people kind of misunderstand. It's like, you know, we've got to work out every day. I've got to do this, this, and this. And, you know, the other thing about nutrition is you can't outwork a bad diet. If you've got a bad diet, it's not going to – and you're not – you're not having variability in what you're eating. It's not going to help you recover quickly enough. It's not going to help you. It's not going to improve your longevity also. You know, right. some people are just like, well, I worked out today, so I'm going to have that cheesecake. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know. It, it, working out shouldn't be a manner of I did this, so now I'm allowed to do whatever. You know, I think right. it, it needs to be something that's just like you can enjoy those things, but don't, don't abuse it and right. go, I can – now eat whatever I want. I used to be like that. I was like, when I ran track, it was like, okay, well, I ran today. You know, I did eight miles. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Right. You know? And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm still, three days later, I'm still pretty sore. And, you know, I'm still, I'm kind of tired. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Well, you look at professional athletes sometimes who walk around the off season and they're just, you know, so much heavier and yeah. so much, and then they're so genetically gifted and their, their workouts are so intense and they have to do so much work for the skill set that maybe they come in for their two-a-days, I'm thinking of football players, and they're miserable and their bodies can take that because they're genetically gifted, because they're in their 20s, maybe 30s. But as time goes on, your body's less likely to take that input in a, in a positive way and adapt. You're less, less able to adapt. So yeah, you definitely don't want to uh, you know, just for the sake of, yeah, I'm, I can eat, work out, I can eat whatever I want. That doesn't work for anyone um, long-term. And then, yeah, y you alluded to it. Yeah, sometimes if it's a holiday, if it's your kid's birthday, whatever, those will be the exceptions to the norm. But you don't even have to plan those things out. Like you planning out a cheat day, I'm like, I don't need to, I don't need you to plan out a cheat day unless, yeah. you, unless that's a coping strategy that works well for you. But chances are the week will throw some cheat days at you. Just like planning out a rest, 
a lot of times you take a vacation, something happens, and, and, and when you do that, take those times, embrace them, and enjoy them, as opposed to it's kind of like going on the workout, going on a vacation. I used to do this in my 20s all the time. I'd be not extremely fit, and then I'd go on vacation. I'd be like, you know what? I haven't worked out very much, but on vacation, I'm going to work out every day. So every day I'd be sitting there, <laughs> and I'd be disappointing myself, and I'd build up the expectations. So oh, now no. you're not only... Uh, you, not only did you didn't work out, but you're miserable because you didn't work out. Instead of just going, you know what? I'm on vacation. When I get back, I'm going to do it right. Yeah. You know. And and if you have a chance to work out on vacation, great, enjoy it. But do it because maybe you can't sleep, or maybe you just happen to be in a place and you're feeling inspired to do it, as opposed to we talked about your life becoming just revolving around the workout. It doesn't have to be that way. Absolutely. I want to go back and touch on a couple things. The core posture, for one. I know Stu McGill is all about having optimal spinal alignment, making sure you maintain a good, strong vertical spine. But what if you take your spine outside that position, under submaximal load, let's say? Yeah. Is that appropriate? Or even under just body weight? Can Is it appropriate to train those things? Well, mostly what I talk about is for, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say for loading purposes, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying sub-max and I'm not saying maximal, but for maximal load, I would definitely be aligned. For squat, pull, push, for the things I'm talking about, I would definitely make an effort okay. to be aligned in, in neutral alignment. Do you go outside of those in, in certain skill sets? Absolutely. Can yes. you go outside of those when you're doing things like running and walking? Definitely. But if I started, if I was having someone walk down here and we were assessing their gait, assessing how they walked, and all of a sudden I said, okay, now I want you to grab 200-pound kettlebells. No matter who the person is, no matter how fit they are, some people are just going to be like, yeah, you're crazy, I'm not going to do that. But even if it was an extremely fit athlete, you would start to watch even as how they walked would change yep. as they got loaded up. And I think most of us would say, oh, their spine would be a little more aligned. Kind of naturally, you're going to, the more weight you get on you is going to tend to make you get there's going to be some breakdown. Yeah, yeah, you're going to you're going to start to align yourself to protect yourself. And depending on your goal for your cardio purposes, yeah, I might go outside neutral alignment for that, but when I'm when the spine's loaded vertically, I'm very careful and I to stay in neutral alignment. Excellent. Now, when we're going into your circuits for the squat pull push, how many circuits would you be going into? Are you grouping them in threes or are you doing like sequences multiple I, at a time yeah you know i'm doing squat pull push in that sequence but yep. then i'm doing circuits of either two to three a sets of maybe uh 12 to 15 if okay. i'm working more endurance you know and the and the tempo and how fast i'm doing it will will change I, the if i'm doing more of a hypertrophy or toning depending on your nutrition i would do three to four sets of eight to ten and these are just vague guidelines. You can kind of find these all, and there's debate over specifically what it is. I mean, we could go on, right? Oh. And then if I'm doing strength, I would do something four or five sets of between like four and six, or we hear commonly five sets of five. In in doing going within that circuit, yeah, are you going to ever be maxing out? Like if it, you're you're not going to be, but you can be doing a pretty heavy weight and you can still do it in a circuit and get some appropriate rest. But if I'm the guy who I want to get maximally strong on my squat, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to squat and I'm probably going to wait, you know, three to four minutes and get full recovery and then go do a second set. But if I'm trying to, again, get a, bring a, get, uh, get an appropriate amount of strength, get flexibility, get stability, get good anaerobic, aerobic threshold, if I'm trying to bring along all these aspects, good body composition, I, I don't need to be at my max 
cardio aerobic threshold. I don't need to be at my max anaerobic threshold. Um, in fact, you'll find the people who go to the extremes of aerobic conditioning have problems. Yep. If people who go to the extremes of anaerobic conditioning also have problems. So you really want to find the sweet spot for the purposes of health and wellness, health and fitness. There needs to be variability. Yes. That is key. Exactly. I've got a couple more questions to ask you, Patrick, before we uh, wrap up here. Who were some of your mentors along your journey that have helped you to get to where you are today? Yeah, um, I really have a lot of respect for guys like um, Greg Roscoff mm -hmm. from N MAT. Um, learned a lot from him. Also, Tom Purvis, our, uh, RTS, really, really sound guys, really smart guys. I also, Evan Osar, Dr. Evan Osar out of Chicago. I think he is great at looking at a bigger picture approach. I, I love his stuff because he, even even as new information comes out, as he explains stuff, he kind of goes on and gives an, another uh, rendition of the things he's been talking about, but just with the updated appropriate vocabulary that everyone's, you, you know, espousing. Because for a while people will say, well, you know, lately, oh, we can't, you can't fix posture. And I'm like, okay, well, we can't fix posture, but working out with improper posture might be a, a threat to the mechanical system and also the nervous system that one might not be able to, to handle and it also would make poor posture even worse. Yeah. So whether or not you can fix it or not, he just changes the terms and puts it in terms where, yeah, we're, again, I always talk about this, where we got 85% of things, 90% of things that are working. And then within the industry, a lot of the, the smart guys who I have a lot of respect for are debating over the minutia of the 10%. And that's fine and good as long as that you already got the 85 or 90%. And what I find is sometimes that 85 or 90% goes out the window and we're struggling over the, the 10%. Like someone's wor worried about whether or not they need to create mobility before stability or stability before mobility and then they're out throwing kettles bells around almost dropping them on their foot or doing some crazy movement pattern i'm like well i don't care what you do but you're going to end up having problems if you're doing some sort of crazy movement pattern that makes no sense yeah so. absolutely we've talked a lot about how you're proficient at getting people to do the basics and do them very well what is a principle in fitness that you know to be true because there's like we just said a lot of talk about the minutiae in fitness sets reps function training versus stability training you know whatever whatever what is a principle Patrick that you've kind of come to that you know to be true no matter what like longevity the ability to work out for a sustained period of time will ultimately give you the best results long-term. So if you are someone who can come in and, and kill it for a year and you you lose it after that because you've created so much damage to the system, I, I look at so many people going, oh yeah, when I was this age, I was in my best condition ever. And what I've enjoyed as I've gotten older and gotten into my mid-40s is like, I feel like now is my best condition ever. And I had a client recently who's about 52, and he said that to me. He's like, you know, Patrick, uh, this is the best I've ever felt. And to me, that's so fun to, and, and so rewarding to think, like, yeah, that's, it, that can be the case. It doesn't have to be that, oh, you know, 
I, that one time when I used to do, it's not like sports, right? With sports and optimal condition to play a sport, that might diminish over time. Or you, who knows, it might just be that you get so much trauma from doing that over and over again. Yeah. But the workout itself, the way you can change and make some cha- take some simple variables and change them and get yourself more fit doesn't have to diminish as quickly. So I, I think that's exciting. Um, and so to be able to be, to be able to do something longer, you're going to get more out of it. So the longevity is, is part of it and just sticking to it is going to be the thing that I've found to be true. The people who are consistently doing it always get the better results. It's lots, a lot of times when I would do martial arts, I would watch people come in and they'd be going crazy and they were devoting their life to the dojo and they'd go hard for a year and then they'd just be done. And then you see this other person who was just slowly coming in two or three days a week, and then all of a sudden they'd be taking a black belt test. And wow, I, I was like, whoa, this person's learned so much. And I had a chance to be on the other side of some of those tests and go, man, this is like some of the best technique I've ever felt. And this person had, had somehow taken that martial art and that appreciation for that and just folded it into their life. And it was like a part of their life versus the person who was devoting their life to the dojo for a year was, you know, blowing hot and cold and then they were done. And that's what I see as fitness. The person who's able to do it for, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years, make it a part of their life for the rest of their lives. That's going to be the thing. So I'm talking to clients who are like 63 and they're coming back and they're saying, wow, I have 3% increase of bone density in my hip and 8% in my spine in one year or someone, yeah. Or someone who goes off. So it's completely objective. They go on a cruise and they take their body fat and they're like, wow, you know what? My, my body fat's 2% lower than it was. And this is again, someone who's in their sixties or someone who's in their seventies and they're skiing black diamond slopes and they want to keep doing it. Those are the type of things that excite me and make me go, yeah, those, that's, that's the long answer to your question. <laughs> Longevity is, is key to it. And it's something that if our goal is health and fitness, we can really put the focus on the things that it needs to be on, which is doing things right with the proper form, the appropriate amount, the right amount of stimulate, stimulation. And I remember one time explaining it to a client or to a trainer and he said, yeah, stimulate, don't annihilate. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Patrick, where can people find you? Where's the best, what's the best way for us to contact you? Yeah, you know, um, you could go on the website, irt.fitness, or go on uh, Yelp and look for IRT or intrinsicresistancetraining.com. I'm in Woodland Hills, 22894 Ventura, and the phone number is 818-653-1499. Anytime, look at the website, feel free to call, text, whatever. Um, and the email address is on the website. Perfect. You on Instagram or Facebook? Oh, yeah, good, good call. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'd say my primary focus is more just recently on, on Instagram. Good. So that's a good, that's a good place to go and, and look at that intrinsic resistance training. That's a good, good, good resource there, too. Fantastic. Patrick, it's been pl- such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this week's episode of the Principles of Fitness, everyone. I want to give Patrick a special thanks for being with us on the show today. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, share it, leave a comment on iTunes, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Principles of Fitness. Boom!